0: Ago, my children were playing together. No, wait, hold on. They're too old to play together. They told me that. They were hanging out together. My children were hanging out together, getting along. It was so nice. And all of a sudden, I heard somebody go, Well, I just can't do that. And the other one said, Okay, well, hold on. Let's try. No, you don't understand, the other one said. I just can't do it. And the other one said, You mean yet. My guidance counselor says that we always forget the power of yet. I ran in when I heard that. I liked that. And all of a sudden, we had this conversation, this discussion about all the powers that we wish we had. And so, yes, I'm going to ask you right now, what are the powers that you wish you had? If you had any power in the world, what would you want? anybody be smarter. to be smarter yeah be two at once. to what be two at once. the power to be two places at once yes I like it back in time. invisible back in time oh. to get a job oh. I mean I would think like I want the power to make all A's and be so smart somebody says you don't even need to go to school anymore you're done wouldn't that be great The power of what? I love it. The force. You want the force? (laughs) To have every power power in the world. I like it. To To not need sleep. I like that power. I can. I can relate in that power. I always wanted the power to just like stop time. I want the power to make a moment, just pause so that I know what to say. (laughs) Because I'm the one that always comes back and be like, oh, if I had just said this. Or I want the power just to like make a moment that I'm loving, just pause it so I can enjoy it longer. I also want the power to appreciate art. Art. I need the power to appreciate art because friends, don't tell anybody, but I'm not very good at that. I just, there's something about it. I'm the kind of person that when I walk into an art museum, I like take one good scan and I feel like I'm done. This was good. I liked it, but I'm ready to be gone. I mean, there are other people who can go into an art museum and just sit for hours and just get lost there. And fortunately for my children, my husband is one of them. My husband was a religious art major. And as a result, I have learned a lot about art and form and color and content. Because guess what? His idea of a really great date was to go to an art museum, find a piece of art and sit there and talk about the nuances of color. My idea of a good date was to find a restaurant in front of a menu and talk about the nuances of ingredients. My husband would just get lost in telling me and explaining to me all of this stuff. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, where is the nearest exit and the closest restaurant? When he's talking about Brushstroke, I'm thinking about cooking utensils. When he talks about color choice, I'm thinking about spice collections, spice selections. And so, yeah, it's the classic. He says tomato, and I say green, heirloom, or cherry. It's funny, right? We had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go in a once-in-a-lifetime trip and it was to Italy. And it was great for us because guess what? Great art and great food. But we had to learn a lot about each other on that trip because never in my wildest dreams did I think he would ever want to go to the same museum for two days straight. But never in his dreams did he think I would need to be fed a full meal every two hours. (laughs) So you can imagine my concern. When he took me to this tiny, tiny little museum. And as we walked up to it, there was a line. And the line wrapped around the building not once, but twice. And when we got into the line, we were told that the wait was gonna be about two hours. And I began to walk away and say, I'm so sorry, I need to be fed now. And my husband nicely took my hand and brought me right back. And he said, We're gonna wait. We're not leaving till we see this. The piece of art that we waited for was an interpretation of first Samuel chapter 17.
1: Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth, and if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion from the paw of the bear, will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground.
0: This is the charming story of David and Goliath. (laughs) You may have favorite parts of this story, and you may or may not have heard them. Please know that those were selected verses of the story. I selected them just to hit the highlights for us. So if you want to read the story in its entirety, go to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, Chapter 17, start at verse 1 and keep reading. You will know when to stop. (laughs) And whether you have read this before or not, what you read just may surprise you. You may remember some of the details, and yet you may not. Because there are all sorts of versions of this story out there. There are people who absolutely know nothing about the Bible, but they know all about David and Goliath. Because we talk about this story a lot. Every child that's ever been to Sunday school knows this story. And you might remember the day you learned it and the teacher who taught it. There are songs and books and artwork about this story. And when you go back and you read it, In its entirety, you will see that the story of David and Goliath is a standalone story. And you will notice that chronologically it does not fit. David's age changes, the scene changes, the setting goes from one thing to another. And the purpose of the David and Goliath story is not to be chronologically or historically accurate. Rather, this standalone story is meant to serve a historical purpose. The genre of this story is called a saga of triumph. And we all love a good saga of triumph because it means the weaker beat the stronger. We love these stories because we like to think about the youngest and the weakest overcoming the strongest and the oldest. The saga of triumph, we just saw it last week on a Monday night football when the beloved Tom Brady was playing. Everybody loved Tom Brady until he got old. Oh, he's so old, so old and decrepit, he was traded. I mean, he's 40 years old, right? He's old. And all of a sudden, everybody was so excited that Tom Brady was going to play again until he went onto the field for battle. And as soon as he got to the field for battle, you booed him. The fans booed him. He went on to win the game. He beat the stronger establishment is your typical saga of triumph story. Scripturally, we have them too. And this particular saga of triumph in scripture is meant to legitimize David as a leader. David, after this story, went on to be a leader in the court of the king. And so this is to legitimize the leadership of someone at that age and stage of life. I waited in line at that Italian art museum for over three hours. We got there, we got our ticket, we walked in the hallway. I was a little faster than my husband. He wanted to stop at a few other things. I did not. I walked straight into the hallway. I turned the corner and all of a sudden, I walked into this room and everything changed for me. And there in front of me is Michelangelo's David. Michelangelo captures a David right as he's running toward that which is in front of him. And the intensity in the room is captivating. I became the one, don't tell anybody, I became the one who sat in front of a piece of artwork for over an hour. And as you look at this David, you will notice a few things. You will see that his eyes are focused and determined, yet very gentle. You will notice that his fingers are wrapped around a sling. And you will notice his stance. One leg is poised and ready to take off while the other is steady and balanced. And in the air, there's a question that lingers. Is he gonna do it? Michelangelo used the power to stop a moment. Michelangelo captured David With a decision to make. When you see this David and you peel away all of the layers of detail and drama, you see a man with a decision to make. And he makes it instantaneously and yet with great intention and he makes this decision based upon his faith and relationship of his lord god and theologically that's what this story is about theologically for us as people of the old and new testament this is a story of christian ethics And Christian ethics is a set of standards that we use to make our decisions. Christian ethics is a set of standards that we use to balance our works and our faith. We use it to balance grace and forgiveness and accountability. We use a set of Christian ethics to make decisions based on gifts of God that include forgiveness and love and grace and compassion and mercy rather than the worldly things of judgment and hate and fear and pride. Christian ethics, is that what we use that is based on our relationship of God? We make decisions every day. Some are very suspenseful and some not so much. But I would offer that every time we do, in the air is lingering that same question. There was a picture on Instagram of my cousin. Oh, she is leaning over the edge of a cliff, and she's all tied up, and she's about to go repelling. And Instagram catches her right in that moment of about to fall. And in my gut, I felt, is she going to do it? There's a man somewhere with a ring in a pocket. And in the air, you think, is she going to do it? There's a friend somewhere making fun of a friend for another reason. Pick any reason. There are all sorts of reasons people do this. Somewhere there's a friend making fun of somebody and in the air they want you to join them. Are they going to do it? There's someone who is facing a dark, dark temptation. Are you going to do it? There's someone who needs your help to take care of them. Are you going to do it? There is someone somewhere who has made a decision that impacts their life, and they have come to you for help. Are you going to do it? There's a same moment, the same question in the air in the New Testament. Matthew 26, verse 36, tells us that Jesus went to Gethsemane And he went darker and deeper into this garden. And he fell on his face and he prayed. And he said, Father, let this cup pass before me. But not my will, but your will. David heard the call of a battle cry. King Saul's in the middle, David heard it, and David said, let your heart not be troubled, your servant will go, and all of a sudden, everybody started putting their armor on them. All of the clothes, all of the armor, all of the pressure, all of the fears, and David shook it all off and said, this is my ability. This is my strength. This is my weakness. This is my size and this is my body, and I will go as I am. When Jesus was walking, crowds would follow him. Crowds would gather around him and they would put all of these things on him. They would put all these problems, all these fears, and all these issues. And Jesus shook it all off and said, this is my strength, this is my ability, this is my weakness, this is my size, and this is my body, and I will go as I am. And with great determination, yet gentleness, with great focus, yet steadiness, Jesus makes a decision instantaneously yet with great intention and unapologetically eats with sinners, loves the untouchable, and overcomes every single thing the world cast upon him, including death. And friends, that is ultimately the story of Christian ethics that we are a part of. That is our saga of triumph to celebrate. We, as Christian people, should be making our decisions every day based upon that truth. And the decisions that we make as a church and as individuals are just as important. As a church, we are here in this moment that is paused And we are about to run towards something in front of us. And if we were to peel away all of the drama and all of the details and all of the crowds and all of the screaming, we would do really well to make a decision instantaneously and intentionally. Because the decision we make in that moment, whatever we throw at the vote or the thing or the person in front of us is going to make an incredible impact. I know there's a decision probably that you have to make. There's probably your own story. And I wonder, if someone were to pause your decision in one moment. I bet they would see that in your eyes you have great determination and focus and gentleness. And I bet they would see in you one foot ready to stay and one foot ready to run. But they would also see in your hands everything you have. And everything you need to deal with anything ahead of you. And if you think you're not ready, remember the power of yet. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious and holy Lord, We gather now before you in awe and wonder. And we are so grateful that you have created and sculpted us in your image. So we thank you for giving us the confidence to stand in your truth and your love. And we are here ready to offer ourselves in your work. So put before us anything that you need we know there are times and we will do battle, and it will be easy to see and talk about problems rather than to be people of resources and solutions, but help us to see you as a source of our help and of our hope. For so many, Lord, there are things that are happening in this world to individuals and as people and as a community, and we ask that you be a part of them all. Lord, in this very room, there are people who are suffering from hurts from friends and from grief of loved ones and yet births of new family members. And so for all of it, we give it to you. And all of it, we say thank you. And Lord, for anyone who is looking ahead at the week, worried or nervous or even excited, we say thank you for all of it. And we thank you for your spirit upon it and your presence within it. And Lord, now we offer everything that we do and who we are to you. Amen.